Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Watching Online. Uh, I'm not Pastor Jim, and I'm not Pastor Anthony, so for most of you guys, I'm probably a new face, which is okay. Um, I've only been here a couple months. My name's Ryan Hernandez. I'm the students director here at Real Life LA. And I want to thank you for joining us online this morning. Um, A little bit about me, since you guys don't fully know who I am. Uh, I'm from Huntington Beach, California, which is great. I moved from sunny and 75 to 95 in the summer and 60 in the winter. So it's a really, uh, really fun time trying to adjust to that. Another thing about me, I really, really, really love sports. I've played just about every single sport you can imagine and it's been a great time on me. Uh, not so much on my body, which is okay, um, which I have the body of a 70-year-old, but the mind of a 25-year-old. So it's really great for student ministries. Um, last thing about me is, like I said, I am the students director here. I have been in student ministry for about seven, eight years now, um, which is really weird, me being 25, that I started when I was 16. But it's allowed me to grow with students. It's allowed me to be able to understand them better because depending on what website you use, depending on what data you use, I am either a part of Gen Z or a part of the millennials. So I'm either saying you're welcome to some or I'm sorry to another. Um, But before I begin this morning, I'd really love to pray for us. Lord God, thank you for allowing us to just dive into your word this morning or whenever we're watching online, God. Um, I thank you that we're able to go through a series like James, Lord, where it's just going to convict a lot of us, um, but also in a really, really healthy and good way, Lord. I pray that you allow the word of God to be spoken to everyone, that we're able to fully understand it, God, um, and just be able to really take away from this message just your word and your message this morning, Lord. It's your name I pray. Amen. So, something I've seen with youth ministry is a desire for them to do really, really good things. I've seen in youth ministry in this upcoming generation just a desire to do good works in order to be a good person. And I don't think that's just this generation. I think that that spans through all generations, that we as a church want to do good works or good deeds in order to be a good person. Now, the problem with this is that a lot of us have a mindset, and I I myself have come victim to this, that your good deeds or your good works are your faith, that those are the things that define your faith. And the bottom line this morning and just the bottom line in James is that it's not, that your faith is not driven by your deeds. Actually, James says that your faith is supposed to be driving your deeds. For starters, I want to stop and say thank you to all of our veterans that are watching with us. Now, I am very much appreciative of everything that you guys do to keep our country free, to keep our country safe, the sacrifices that you guys and your families have made. Uh, My grandpa was in the military. He was in the Navy for about 20 plus years. So I fully understand 
what you guys have gone through. And I want to say just thank you this Veterans Weekend that we are just able to honor you. And now my grandpa, I bring him up because he was someone that fits this message to a T. He was someone that loved doing good works and good things for other people because he felt that that's what made him just a good person. He just wanted to be a good person. If you asked him why he served in the military, he would give you a four-word response. He would give you for God and country. Now, the for God part, we weren't really sure why he said that. He wasn't a Christian up until right before he passed away. Um, but we really did believe that it was so that he would seem as a good person because that's what he wanted to be. He was the type of person that would just give you all of the clothes off of his back at any given point. But that didn't determine his faith. So why would I bring that up on a Sunday morning or whenever you're watching online? It's because we're going to be diving into James that talks about this specific issue that we have. So we have come to a mindset in the church where our good deeds define our faith. We have come to a mindset where we follow the world's mindset of you just got to be a good person and that's all that matters. I love the fact that we have been diving into James. Last week, Jim started with James 1, and he left us at a tangent that said, make your behavior match your beliefs. And I think today I'm going to piggyback off that a little bit and talking about faith and deeds. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you want to pull it up online, James 2 is where we're going to be landing today. We're going to be going into James 2, specifically 14 through 26. So let's dive into the Word of God. James 2, 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? See, right off the bat, James is going to set the tone for the entirety of verses 14 through 26. He's setting the tone of what good is your faith without your deeds. What I find most interesting is that he uses the plural form of deeds. And in some translations, he uses the plural form of works. Now, works in Greek is erga. So when we read this in Greek, we're reading erga, which is actually derived from the original form, ergon, which means work. Now, why do I bring up the Greek and why do I bring up the fact that it's works? Because James doesn't just say one plural work. He says multiple. See, when you think of works, when you think of deeds, it's something that's going to be constantly reoccurring in your life. So James right here in 14 is going to set the tone of your faith is not derived from your, your deeds, your works. But then in the second half, he says, can such faith save them? Right, it's a rhetorical question. He already knows the answer to that question, and it's no. And he's just going to keep going through later in the verses. Verse 15, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, 
if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. See, James right here in 15 to 18 is just taking time to call out that early church. See, James was written at a time where the early church was very much focused on works over their faith. They came from the Jewish culture where your works were taught to be something that was equivalent with your faith. James, being the half-brother of Jesus, I feel is in a perfect position to be calling out the early church. Right? He's the half-brother of God, essentially, in the flesh. Right? So you already have that spirituality in James that he knows what he's going to be talking about. But what's diff- what's interesting to me is just the difference between a James letter and a Paul letter. See, Paul calls out specific churches. He calls out specific needs within a church. And James is going to be calling out the universal church. He's not just talking to one specific church. He's actually addressing the 12 tribes of Israel that became a nation. He's calling out the early Christians at the time. And he's doing it in a way where it's point blank, cut and dry. James doesn't have time to be speaking to individual things and individual people. No, he's got to be talking to the whole church at one time. So right here in 15 through 18, that's exactly what he's doing. Point blank, cut and dry. He plainly says, if you do not have faith that is accompanied by actions, it's dead. Point blank, cut and dry. He says, if your faith is not accompanied by actions, it is dead. I had a buddy growing up um, that just loved, loved, loved to say he could do everything and everything that everyone else could, right? It was a person that you would say, oh, I can go hike Mount Kilimanjaro in 10 minutes. Uh, He would tell you he could do that too. And he could tell you he would do it in nine. He was one of those people that just had story after story after story after story of just these things that he did that other people did too. And one day, all of my friends were hanging out. And I had a friend who was pretty tall. I had a friend who was about six, seven. um, And said, oh yeah, like I just started dunking. I just was able to dunk. Again, my love of sports. I had friends who had love of sports as well. This friend said, oh yeah, I can dunk too. Now, we never really called out my friend. We never really asked if he actually could do those things. The thing that we would always say is, oh, that's super cool. That's super exciting. Good for you. And we would just leave it at that. But my friend who was 6'7", who could dunk, said, no, this time I actually want you to show me. He was calling him out. He said, I want you to go dunk the ball right now and prove to us that you can dunk. Now, if you don't know anything about basketball, let me paint you a really, really intimate picture really quick. A basketball hoop is 10 feet tall. So it's already pretty tall. The bottom of the net on the rim, so there's a basketball rim that's 10 feet tall. The net hangs down to about eight, eight and a half feet tall. My friend who was about to go attempt dunking is five foot 10. 
He is about half the size of the basketball hoop, give or take. Now, if you know anything about basketball, it is very rare to see anyone under the size of about six feet tall going and dunking a basketball. Sometimes it's just unrealistic. So we go outside and my friend goes to dunk. Now he has a good approach. He jumps off of his foot really well, but this, this dude completely missed everything about a basketball hoop. He missed the rim, he missed the hoop, and it wasn't even close. He was off by a good couple feet and just could not dunk. He was missing the mark. James, when he's speaking to the early church in these specific verses, is calling out the church saying, you are missing the mark. Your actions and your deeds are not the thing that is going to create faith. He's specifically saying, if your faith is also not accompanied by actions, do you really have faith? It's dead. What's interesting to me is he doesn't use any other soft language. He doesn't say it's, it's hung up. He doesn't say it's mediocre. He doesn't say it's on pause. No, he says it is physically dead. And this is something I love about James is he is not afraid to just speak it as it is. Verse 19 and 20 are really good indicators for this. 19, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? See, James is going to start challenging the church and he's going to start challenging them with people that he knows. But before that, he stops and he challenges their faith in a way that I've honestly not really seen anyone do except Jesus in the New Testament. Right? He says, you believe that there is one God. And he doesn't say that as a question. He says that as a statement. And when I read this, I kind of picture James in the middle of a circular argument, just with a bunch of people hearing their opinions, hearing what they got to say. And he just comes in with this baseline of, okay, well, we all believe that there's one God. That's good. He says, that is good that you believe there's one God. And then the way I read this and the way I think it is read is there's a pause after good. And I think James in this moment collects himself and in the most blunt, cold, and arguably one of the toughest ways I've ever heard a response in the Bible. He says, even the demons believe that and shudder. Church, I think when we start to have a faith that is driven by deeds, not only do we miss the mark, but we don't take a minute to pause and realize what actually is going on, right? I have friends and I know a ton of people who are good people. They believe that there is a God. They believe in this. They believe in that. And they think that that makes them a Christian. They think that just doing deeds and then believing that there is a God makes them a believer. And in a way, they're not wrong. But in another way, James in this point is really asking the question, where is your faith at? 
where are your beliefs at? Do you truly, truly believe in God? Do you truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I don't know about you guys, but I've personally heard working in youth ministry that when I go to church, if I read my Bible and I believe that there is a God, I'm a Christian. I've heard that argument time and time and time and time and time again. James right here, again, in the most cold way I could ever imagine, but in the most truthful way possible, says even the demons believe that. Church, the demons are not Christian. The demons are actually very much opposed to God, but they still know and believe in God. And that's wild to me that James, with one phrase, crushes an entire mentality of a church. He crushes the entire mentality of people who think that their, faith, their deeds drive their faith. Keep reading with me if you're following along. Verse 20, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. See, James at this point is going to give a specific example of Abraham. Now, if you don't know who Abraham is, he's pretty important to the Old Testament. Abraham is the father of the Israelite nation. That is kind of his LinkedIn profile, if you will, right? He and his wife, Sarah, at a very, very, very old age, are approached by God in flesh and are told, you are going to have a son and birth the nation of Israel. You will have more children and descendants than there are stars in the sky. At this, Sarah starts to laugh because they were very old age. They were well past the point of being able to bear children. Well, in a couple years, they have a son and their son's name is Isaac. And what James is referencing here is something that all of the people reading this in the Old Testament would know very, very well. Abraham was built into the foundation of their faith and religion at the time. They knew all the stories. You can name drop Abraham and they would immediately know what they're talking about. And right here, what they're talking about is Abraham going up into a mountain at God's command and being willing to sacrifice his son because God said so. He had that much faith that it drove his action. Now, God stops them. Isaac goes on to live. Isaac and another son go on to basically create the nation of Israel. But then right after name-dropping Abraham, he drops another name. And this name isn't very well known, but I think it's just as important as the name he just dropped. Verse 25. In the same way, 
was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Right there, he name drops someone named Rahab. Rahab is someone who lived on the walls of Jericho. Yes, it does say Jericho. Great, I knew that. See, right here, he name drops Rahab, someone who lived on the walls of Jericho. Jericho at the time was actually the Israelites' promised land. And what happens is the Israelites, before they become the nation of Israel, are sending off spies into the city to see the best way that they can capture the the city at the time. Basically, they're trying to get a lay of the land. And they get driven out. They get caught and they start to get driven out. And Rahab, out of her faith, God tells her, hide these people. So Rahab, because she has faith, does a deed by hiding these two spies. Rahab then goes on to be so blessed that she's actually mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ being born. See, James at this point in verse 20 to 26, 20 to 25, James at this point is name dropping two names that the Israelites would have known exactly what he's talking about. He name drops two specific people where their deeds were driven by their faith. He uses these two specific examples to make his point even that much more meaningful. That your faith needs to drive your deeds, not the other way around. And in the early church, this was a very radical way of thinking. But I think in today's world, we can really, really start to see what James is talking about. And we can really start to see why faith without deeds is dead. James wraps up in 26, as I already read, but I want to focus on it again. In 26, he wraps up and says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James, in 2, 14 through 26, has a very, very clear point that your faith without deeds is not true faith. And on the flip side of that, he has a very clear point of your deeds do not drive your faith. And we see a lot of young generations realizing this. We see a lot of people starting to realize this within the church, right? And a specific example that comes to my mind that I found out about two weeks ago is that I had a student who I knew him from sixth grade, and he was one of those troublemaker students. And if you've ever done youth ministry, you know exactly what I mean by that. He was a very troublemaker student. He would do things, though, that tried to have him justify his faith. And what I mean by this is he would serve a lot. He would volunteer in the worship band. He was one of those kids that would just go do a ton of stuff for two reasons. One, because his mom forced him to, which is understandable. He's at that young age. But two, 
because he thought if I start doing all of these things, I'll finally have a faith in God that our youth pastor has been talking about. Now, two weeks ago, I learned that not only is he in college, but he is actually helping start up a college ministry. I have a couple buddies who are involved in the same college ministry, and they say that this kid is the number one student that is driving that ministry. He is working at the right hand of the staff member and honestly helping him so much to the point where he's actually taking on some of the staff members' work because he just wants to. And I asked them point blank, is it because of how he used to act when he was young? Is it still that same mentality? I was very, very happy to hear that around his junior year of high school, something switched and he actually started to have faith in Christ. Started actually asking, how can I help? How can I serve? What can I do? And this ministry came out of it. This ministry has allowed him to show not only me, his old leaders, but just everyone around him, that his faith is what's actually driving this desire, all of these things that he's doing. And as Christians, we're in an amazing space where we get to do good works because of our faith. Right? We as Christians are able to serve on a Sunday morning. We're able to serve in a pantry. We're able to go out into the community and just do a bunch of amazing good works within our sphere. But on the flip side of that, church, there is a dark side. There is a part where we start to fall into this category of our deeds are going to drive our faith. So this morning, or whenever you're watching it, I want to challenge you guys to actually ask yourself that question. I want you to ask yourself, what good deeds am I doing now? And I want you to ask the question of how is my faith going to drive these deeds? If your answer is, oh, I don't know how my faith is driving my deeds, I'd encourage you, reread James. Reread James and have a moment where you can ask yourself, how can my faith be included in these good deeds? Because church, James point blank, cut and dry, says your faith is what drives your good deeds. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a message where you don't hold anything back, God. Thank you for a message that we are able to read just thousands of years later, God, and still understand the message, still be able to apply it, God, and still have the same meaning behind it, Lord. Lord, I pray for whoever's watching this online right now, God. I pray that they're able to ask themselves that question of how is my faith driving my deeds, Lord, and I pray that you reveal the answer to them, God. Lord, I pray that you help them have a faith that drives their deeds, Lord. That's your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.